Great, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to open up your word together. I pray that you'd bless our time, that your spirit would be with us. I pray that you'd teach us and instruct us and that our hope and trust would be in you and in your son. And I pray that you'd equip us uh, by, uh, by your word and uh, through the, the power of your spirit so that we'd be built up and taught so that we might uh, teach and uh, serve others and that we would uh, love and serve you. And so we thank you for all of these things and pray that they'd be to your honor and glory and the glory of your son. We pray in his name. Amen. All right, last week we were just finishing up in Numbers chapter 11. So we'll touch on a, a few things there, and then we'll uh, look at uh, Numbers chapter 12. And we were seeing at uh, Tabera that the, you had people, uh, as they were complaining, uh, Yahweh heard. And so he uh, brought uh, judgment and fire upon them. Uh, along the, the outer skirts of the, uh, the the encampment that Moses interceded for them and forgave them. And then uh, they went to Kivrot Hatava. Uh, Tavera has to do with uh, burning, God uh, bringing fire judgment upon them. And Kivrot Hatava are the graves of the craving. And so the, the people had a gluttonous, lustful uh, desires for, for meat, and they weren't thankful for God's provision for over a year of the, the manna. And so uh, they started to think that they had it pretty good in Egypt where they ate for nothing, apparently, even though they were enslaved. And that led to Uh, Yahweh and Moses, uh, seeing this as, as evil, as wrong. But then Moses turned and com complaining about the evil, not of the people, but of God putting all this burden upon him. Uh, and so now he's starting to, uh, to complain against God. The, the people are grumbling. He's complaining. Uh, and even with this rabble, at a minimum, you, you have a gathering, a group of complaining, grumbling people. Uh, some hypothesize that maybe uh, you have more of a foreign element because it goes on to talk about the sons of Israel. And you even had all these people that went out of Egypt with them who were uh, Egyptians and uh, foreigners, non-Israelites. Non but at a minimum, you, you have a gathering, a mixed multitude, uh, whether some of the Gentile people, the Israelites, uh, you have a, a crowd of grumblers, uh, complainers, uh, who are uh, desirous for these things. And you see God's judgment comes on the outer skirts of the camp with the initial complaining at Taberah as they're head headed to the promised land. But now it spreads to the, the sons of Israel throughout the camp. And so the complaining, it, it's growing throughout and they're, they're ungrateful and unthankful even though God has delivered them, he has provided for them, he's provided manna the entire time, he gave them quail before, he could do it again uh, if, they, uh, if they asked him, uh, tr trusting in, in him and not, not being ungrateful and complaining, but in, in belief. And they're headed to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they're almost there. I mean, it's just, it, it's a short trek. Uh, and so uh, all, all of this time, and so uh, Moses complains against God. God graciously makes provision for Moses. Uh, the 70 elders, I'll take some of the spirit that's upon you. I'll put it upon them. They'll bear the burden with you. So God's gracious toward Moses. And then he gives provision to the people, but of judgment. And you have to look, when you see God's judgments, oftentimes you see uh, judgment, punishment, and mercy coincide. He could have just removed the manna. Okay, you're complaining about the manna? You have nothing to see. 
except this mana. Okay, remove the mana, die in the wilderness. Uh, die like the Egyptians, you know, bring the plagues upon them, wipe them out. God could have done that. And so he provides 30 days of quail until it comes out of their noses. <laughs> you want the quail? Okay, uh, you'll eat. And so he gives them, gives them the quail. But you also, you have graciousness in there because they eat. They still eat. And so they, they learn a lesson. They'll grow sick and tired of the, the quail that, that they want. Uh, their, their ungrateful, lustful hearts, uh, if they follow their sinful passions, will never be satiated. So he gives them uh, the, the more quail than you know, they could, could ever want. So they grow sick and tired of it, but they still eat. And so you see God's mercy, and we'll be seeing that with Aaron and Miriam uh, after this. And so let's just read through uh, to where we were at. And we'll, we'll start with, let's start back in, in chapter, chapter 10 with uh, Hobab, just so we remember the, the context. Verse 29. And so people are setting out. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Reuel, uh, Jethro, the, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which Yahweh said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do good to you, for Yahweh has promised good to Israel. But he said to him, I will not go. I will depart to my own land and to my own kindred. And he said, Please do not leave us, for you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will serve as eyes for us. And if you do go with us, whatever good Yahweh will do to us, the same we will do to you. So they set out from the Mount of Yahweh three days' journey. And the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. So God ultimately is leading, leading the way through the wilderness. And the cloud of Yahweh was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Yahweh, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Yahweh, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. And so, thinking of the promises with Jethro, he told Jethro all the good that Yahweh had done to, to them, and now with his son, Hobab, he tells them all the good he will do to them. He's, he's promised for, for Israel, looking forward. And so looking to the good, they set out on a positive note, uh, trusting, trusting in God along the way, but how quickly things turn. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1. And the people, literally, uh, as they were complaining, or let's see, uh, verse 1. It happened, uh, the people, as they were complaining of the evil uh, in, in the ears of Yahweh, Yahweh heard. And when Yahweh heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of Yahweh burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to Yahweh, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was Taberah, because of the fire of Yahweh, uh, because the, uh, the fire of Yahweh burned among them. Uh, Taberah. Uh, now uh, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt for nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength or our, our souls are dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bedellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in handmills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. 
And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil, or the very best part of the oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of Yahweh blazed hotly. And Moses was displeased. Or uh, in the eyes of Moses, bad. It was bad. Um, uh, Moses said to Yahweh, why have you dealt ill or bad uh, with your servant, mistreating him? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I fi find favor in your sight, that I might not see my wretchedness. His bad, his, his bad state. And so he's not complaining about the people. He's blaming God for, for doing this and placing all this upon him, despite his provision for Moses. Instead of just calling upon God for help, he's complaining against God. He's starting to sound like the people and asking for his own death. And so in verse 16, after Moses' uh, lament or complaint, we see God's provision for Moses and his provision and judgment for the people. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know, to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of Yahweh, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, Yahweh will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected Yahweh, who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? So they've complained before his face about meat. And so now they'll eat meat until it comes out of their nostrils. It's the same word. Uh, it talks about that his, his nose became hot uh, when he becomes angry. His nose became hot. You know, his face became red hot uh, with, with anger. And so now uh, God's provision for for Moses, uh, the, the elders, uh, to serve as judges with him, putting his spirit upon them. With Jethro, you had the establishment of judges to judge with Moses, but now he's going to put his spirit upon them. And instead of complaining, they'll prophesy. They'll speak according to the word of God. Uh, unlike the, the complaining people with their sinful passions and desires who complain and grumble uh, apart from God's spirit. Uh, and so first we have Moses, he's going to doubt, and then God's provision. Uh, but Moses said, the people among whom I am, or literally, uh, verse 21, Moses said, uh, the, the people are 600,000 on foot. So 600,000 on foot are the people uh, among whom I am in their midst, whom I am in their midst. And you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. 
Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them, and it be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them, and it be enough for them? And Yahweh said to Moses, Is Yahweh's hand shortened? Is it shortened? You know, that he can't act, that he can't bring this about and provide or deliver. Uh, Is Yahweh's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So all this grumbling, it's really a test of God's faithfulness, God's goodness, and the truthfulness of his his word. Yeah, it was... Uh, God encouraged me with this as I was reading uh, that uh, last time I came to my mind that uh, Moses, he had the spirit of God. And it says, Christ says, well, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, you know, a a man brought up, he said, uh, you know, why would God listen to a man? Well, God's in complete control. I mean, even though he shows anger when they disobey, he knows they're going to disobey. If he didn't know the future, he couldn't have told us what's going to happen. But... You know, that's the thing. It's I, I kind of saw it as a, a greater to lesser, which maybe there's still a symbolism in that way, but ultimately Christ is mediating for Israel, his chosen people. I mean, mm-hmm. when, when God doesn't destroy them, I mean, Christ is the Holy Spirit. Christ is God. God is Christ. And ultimately, he's working through Moses to save them back then. It's not like it's, oh, this is a powerful man. Or, or in, uh, in his ministry... In his incarnation as the God-Man, uh, the the Spirit is is with him, is is upon him. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and he he, uh, even even as the God-Man, he he depends upon uh, the the Spirit of God. Uh, in his ministry, uh, and in his uh, in his work, and it's even amazing that. Uh, people, I know people raised Muslims and such uh, this objection uh, to uh, James White. James R. White. Well, if Jesus is God, how is it that he prays to God? Is he praying to himself? or Why would God pray? Well, he's the God-man. He's not praying to himself. He's praying to the Father. Uh, God is uh, one in his being, but three in person. He's uh, he's relational. He's tri tri personal. Uh, there there are th- three persons uh, in in the the one uh, the one uh, being of God. Uh, they share fully the one being of God. And so, as the God man, truly man, truly God. James Way is asked, is he supposed to be an atheist? <laughs> he wouldn't pray or call upon call upon the Father. No, he's 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 the God man and in his art incarnation he's the perfect man who who prays and communes and calls upon the Father and and he had communion with the Father even before his incarnation uh, but yeah he's he's the uh, the, the ultimate ultimate mediator and what do you mean that God would listen to man did, did they think he, like well, someone is that, giving orders yeah, to like, God or like, something well no it's like so it'd be solely Moses' own thoughts and his own actions brought him to mediate before the people. And so it's mm-hmm. to Moses' credit that the people are saved. But ultimately, it's God that wills and acts within us in Romans. And ultimately, mm-hmm. Moses had the Spirit of God. God used Moses, everything Moses did, to fulfill the prophecy of Christ later. So it was not that Moses really gets the credit for. I mean, he does, mm-hmm. but he doesn't because ultimately that's what Christ, what Paul said. He says, you know, Paul did a lot of things, but ultimately he had no boast. Yeah, he, he had, he had uh, at the end of the day, he'd say, well, I, I strove I strove more than, than all the others, and yet not I, but the grace of God in me. <laughs> and so he'd say, in, in, in my stripe, it was all of God, you know. God, God uh, empowering it. I think you can even see sometimes where he tells Moses to go down the mountain for the people you brought out of Egypt have <laughs> built, a, built an idol uh, and the, uh, they, they, they've sinned. You can even see times where he, he prompts Moses to intercede on behalf of the, the people. 
and gives them, gives them that, that, that opportunity. And Moses, knowing the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that if he really just wiped out this whole people, the promises are null and void. God can't do it. And so he, he appeals to what God has revealed about himself, his own character, his covenants, and his promises. So God, you say that you're gracious and merciful. Please be gracious and merciful with this stiff-necked, stubborn people. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I agree with you. I think that's spot on. That's the unity. And so, all right. Uh, and so now the, the test uh, is Yahweh's hand shortened. Uh, is Yahweh's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of Yahweh, and he gathered 70 men. So he's giving them the, the words of God. Now, we'll see if they come true. Uh, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then Yahweh came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. So spirit comes upon them, and they now speak the words of God. They, they speak in accordance uh, with God's revelation, with God's will, uh, and, and speak of God, his character, his covenants, his promise, his salvation, uh, after he comes, comes uh, upon them. Uh, but they, they did not continue doing it. So then, uh, verse 26. And now two men uh, remained in the, the camp. And let's see. Uh, remained two, it might even be two, two, of, the, two of the men, uh, or, or two men uh, in the camp. Uh, one named Eldad and the other named Medad. And the spirit rested on them. Uh, they were among those registered, written down, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp, the people. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all Yahweh's people were prophets, and that, that Yahweh would put his spirit on them. And then he and the elders uh, returned to, to the camp. And so you have these two, and, and some, there's some debate, is, is there 72, six for each tribe, or just 70? How it's written, it, it might be that they were written down, they were supposed to go out with them. For some reason, they didn't. But here, the spirit comes upon them. They prophesy in the camp where all the people are grumbling and complaining. And uh, they, hitavu, uh, tava, hitavu, desired, tava, a desire. I think last week sometimes I said, ha tava, that's the desire, but hitavu, tava, they desired a desire. But when the spirit comes upon them, they, vaitnavu, they prophesy. Instead of grumbling and complaining, instead of, having the sinful passions, God's spirit at work, they, they now prophesy uh, and speak uh, authoritatively according to the word of God. And now these two prophesy in the camp where all the people are grumbling, proclaiming the, the word of God. But, uh, verse 27, a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. This is bad. Oh no, Moses. If you don't give the go-ahead... If you don't give the green light, they shouldn't be doing this. You're God's prophet. What are they doing speaking in the camp and not going out to the tent, you know, where, where God is? This is outrageous. But the Spirit of God's come upon them. Is the Spirit not sovereign? Can he not come upon uh, people, you know, who, whomever he wills? Uh, as uh, Jesus says, you know, the wind blows where, <laughs> where uh, you, you neither see where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with the Spirit. He comes upon wh whom he wills. He's the, the sovereign spirit of God. 
And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, my Lord Moses. <laughs> is a high, high view of Moses, Lord, master. Uh, stop them, silence them. Uh, they, they shouldn't be speaking without your permission. You're, you're the, the, the prophet, Aaron's under you. You know, what are they doing talking? Uh, but Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all Yahweh's people were prophets that Yahweh would put his spirit upon them. It's now in humility, he recognizes this is what the people need. They need God's spirit poured out upon them so that they'd proclaim the word of God and not grumble and be unthankful and filled with ungratitude. They believe the word of God and, and speak it and proclaim it. That's what they need. And so you see Moses' humility, even after his, uh, uh, his complaint uh, and, and his moment of, of doubt, where he just focused on how big this thing is, forgetting, oh, God's provided manna for an entire year and delivered us out of Egypt, you know? And so now in his humility, this is what the people need. And so now it turns to the, uh, the elders go with them. They're now with them, bearing the, the burden with them uh, to the people. God's provision of judgment for the people. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Then a wind, a ruah, it was just talking about the ruah, the, the spirit. And so a lot of times it will uh, even have word plays and such uh, because sometimes here now a wind comes they can't see. And it, it's likely during the, the quail migration season uh, as they're uh, beyond the, the new year and they uh, migrate uh, up, up north and even across Sinai. But a wind comes bringing them all in from the, the sea. And so obviously... God is at work. God is present and at work. And so a lot of times there will be a play uh, between the spirit of God, the, the ruah of God, and the, uh, the, the ruah of God, a wind from God. Uh, because it, it, it's in the miraculous, powerful working of God, it's a manifestation of his presence uh, in the midst of the people, uh, bringing these things uh, about. So... Uh, Moses and the elders returned to the camp. Then a wind from Yahweh sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp. So day's journey all around. Either way. And about two cubits above the ground. Now it turns to the people. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day. So all day, all night, that full day. Uh, and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against the people, and Yahweh struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kivrot Hatava, Graves of the Craving, because there they buried the people who had the craving. And so they were going to be punished, and yet still provided for for 30 days. But they didn't even stop there and spreading it out around, around the camp, maybe drying it out in the, the sun, uh, skinning it and, and such. Before it's even cooked, there are people who are eating it. It implies that they're eating, eating even raw meat. And it may be, it may be, I, I have more work to do on it, it may be the Sabbath when they do this, which would be similar as to when they were in the wilderness with the manna for the full week before. Uh, a lot of times when they camp at different places, they went uh, three days into the wilderness from, from the, I think it was after the 20th, uh, went three days, and then they're at Taberah, maybe 24th, then they're at Kivra Hataba, 25th, next day the quail, 26th, 27th. It, it might be going into the, the uh, the, the edge of the, the Sabbath uh, as they're going here. But either way, they're now, their cravings, these aren't a starving people. They've had the manna. It's delicious. It's filling. It's nutritious. It provides all that they need. And 
they break God's law, like in the garden. They want the one thing they can't have and don't even like bother to cook it. And they're, they're biting and eating. It's right between their teeth and they're eating it. And so now God strikes them dead right on the spot. And so greater judgment comes upon the people. Their cravings and their sinful passions lead them all the way to the grave. Like he said, God says with Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, for the opening, but you must master it. It wants to master him. You'll bring about his death. And so their cravings lead all the way to the grave. Graves of craving, uh, their, their gluttonous desires, uh, and they're, they're buried. And so uh, here the, the quail, I think some maybe even estimate if you take like the 10 homers for the least and 600,000, that's just men. You may be even upwards of like 100 million quail. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot. Sometimes the homers, uh, they have homers and homers, uh, even with the frogs that they heaped up. It's kind of like, sometimes it's used in a way that's kind of like tons and tons or heaps and heaps. Uh, and so it, whatever, it's, it's a lot. It's a mind-boggling amount. Uh, and they, they have uh, records and writings from uh, even like in uh, Muslim times and kind of around like the, the medieval era where they might harvest uh, well over like a million quail or, you know, close to like a couple million. But here, I mean, it brings in just a massive amount, the, the winds uh, that's truly uh, miraculous, uh, his, his provision for them. And so here you go from God's judgment in the burning at Taberah on the outskirts where they're complaining. Uh, they were kmitonanim, uh, uh, and, and God burnt them at Taberah. Fire burned Vayitavar, uh, I think it was. Uh, he, he burnt them at Taberah, and then they hitavu uh, tava Taberah hitavu tava. And so, uh, crave the craving. And so you just see their, their, their complaining, their sinful desires increase, and the judgment increases upon other people where God didn't punish them in the wilderness on the way to Sinai, but now the, the judgments from the golden calf, uh, the judgments are increasing as they go to the promised land. They see more signs, they're more without excuse, and they become hardened and hardened along the way. And now uh, we're going to turn to uh, Miriam and Aaron complaining. Oh, and also, I, I just want to point out, go to Deuteronomy. Let's see, I believe it's chapter 1. Let's see, around, let's look at chapter 9, or I mean verse 9, <laughs> chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, Moses talking to the, no, second generation that didn't die in the wilderness, uh, exhorting them. Uh, at that time, I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. Uh, Yahweh, your God, has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May Yahweh, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are, and bless you as he promised you. How can I bear myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, 
Hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. So Israelites, foreigners, sojourners. Uh, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness uh, that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as Yahweh our God commanded us. Now, some of these things, you have initial appointment of judges, like with Jethro, uh, right at Sinai, as they're, they're arriving there. Uh, but then along the way, you see specifically the appointment uh, from the elders, uh, and he worked with the elders before, but now specifically uh, 70 elders that God now puts his spirit upon as they're heading out uh, to, uh, to equip them by his spirit uh, as judges. Uh, and they had judges, uh, you can read in Deuteronomy uh, 17. It might, some of it begins, some of the judgment stuff begins in 16. But 17, uh, you have uh, the judges of the appoints, and also the, the king. Uh, and both the judges and the priests had a judicial role. Uh, they had a judicial responsibility uh, and then as he deals, uh, the king, uh, the, I think the, the priest again in, in 18 more specifically uh, for just priestly things, uh, the prophet, and part of it might be chiastic, judge, priest, king, priest, prophet. And then you hear echoes back as you get into 19, it gets into judicial things as, as you keep reading throughout uh, Deuteronomy and how to deal with these things. And so they were to have judges uh, for uh, their towns and, and villages. Uh, they'd meet and they'd carry out legal transactions and such uh, in the, the gateway to towns uh, and within their clans and tribes. And you have the, the 70 uh, going all the way up to Moses. And then when the tabernacle was in the land or later the temple, uh, the, the priest served uh, a judicial role and even prophetic with the, uh, the Urim and the Thummim uh, that they, they carried. Uh, for decisions that they uh, they couldn't handle on, on their own. And so you had judicial responsibilities at different levels for the judges, for the priests, for the king, even the prophets. I mean, you, you see, well, with Moses himself, but Samuel was a judge, Jehoiada. Uh, you see Elijah, he judges the, the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Uh, and so throughout their judges were obviously very important and they were to speak and judge according to the, the word of God. Uh, they need to be taught by God and this is part of all of these offices. They're called the, the shepherds, the rulers of Israel. And God is the ultimate shepherd. He's, he's the good, good shepherd. And Moses even asked, who, who will shepherd this people You know, when he's gone? Uh, and so we see that they need uh, the word. They need the word of God. So let's go back to 12. We'll see how much we, we can touch on. We'll have to deal with more next week. Oh, and Dan, uh, we just got that class up, I think pretty recently for last week, and we covered quite a bit in chapter 11, so you, you might find it interesting. All right, so now uh, the people hang to the promised land. Uh, the people grumble. The outskirts of the, the camp are, are burnt. At the ends, at Taberah, at Kivrot Hatava, uh, the graves of, of craving. You see that the complaining spreads throughout the camp, and even Moses, his lament starts turning into to complaining against God and blaming God. And then 
the people, you, you have the people with the craving who are struck down, struck dead with a great, great blow or plague that, that came upon them, like the Egyptians. Now it turns to Miriam and Aaron who begin to complain against Moses, a God's authoritative spokesman. And so they're complaining against God himself and the one he has established. I don't know if I, I don't think I shared this with you guys, but it was so interesting. I, I heard a, a story about, I told Mark, about a guy named Tucson who he shot someone before he was a Christian and killed him, and he's convicted with 12 for that, 12 for something else. So, and he got out early, tw 12 years, even though he had 24. And then he still wasn't a Christian, and he got, he had, he had a bad life. He grew up in, you know, the bad part, and ended up shooting another and wounding two more. And the judge, he went to the judge, and the judge said, well, he hasn't learned his lesson, and he was talking about uh, inject lethal injection. And so at the time, he said his girlfriend was a Christian, and she actually went outside, and while he was he was inside the cell, he said he was just, he, he broke down and, and cried at some point there because it was just, they, they were going to kill him. Mm -hmm. And anyways, his, his girlfriend's out there, and, she's, and she said, you know, if God can take down the walls of Jericho, he can take down this cell wall. So she actually went around the wall seven times, and, uh, you know, he was in there, he still wasn't a believer, just kind of like, hey, look at my girlfriend, you know, walking around. And, you know, the conviction ended up being 33 months, from lethal injection to 33 months, because the judge, he said it wasn't the jury, had a horrible jury, he said the judge had a life goal of a million years of convicting, you know, different mm -hmm. people. It wasn't the judge, but he got out of the prison in, yeah, 33 months. It, that was his conviction, and, and he was talking that day. Where'd you hear? It was his name is Tucson. I, I have his phone number, but anyways, he, that was his testimony, and you know, so God, he, he took down the walls of the prison. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyways, oh, what was I going to say about that? I lost my train of thought. And well, certainly, God can bring down the the walls of Jericho. You know, one one thought that that I'd have though is that Jericho, God commanded them to go around the city. You know, don't, don't assault it. Go, go around uh, once first day of the week, once second day, once third day, right. so on for six days. On the seventh day, go around seven times. Uh, and then they were to blow the trumpets and shout, you know, give a shout. Walls would come down and then go assault it. Now, at Jericho, God had promised him, them and commanded them to do that. Uh, and so they could do it, they could do it in faith, you know, believing that God, right. that God would. And so I think where she would get, get in trouble, and you know, maybe, maybe a, I assume a, a sincere believer maybe just doesn't yeah. understand, yep. that by doing that, she would actually be acting in presumption uh, in, in going around and thinking that God will respond to that because God has never commanded her, you know, to, to do that. And also, there, there's kind of a different issue between God's providence and his moral will and command, where let's say someone gets off on lenience in which, if it's in the past, it's in God's providence. He's, he's in control, you know, of, of all things. Uh, whether you have a bad outcome or a good outcome. And that's not saying, you know, what, what that one particularly is. But like with Noah, he said, when man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for he was created in the image of God. Uh, and that was something that's applied in Isaiah and throughout to all nations and any nation uh, in Judges that throws out the death penalty is actu actually undermining, they're actually in rebellion against God, and they're in rebellion against his moral will, and they're actually devaluing human life. And now, 
if you had a, had a believer or unbeliever or whatever who got out unjustly, well, it's, in, it's certainly in God's, God's providence. You know, he's in control of all things. But, you know, there, there'd be just a couple, couple things that, you know, want, want to think about that maybe they, they weren't thinking about or realizing. And I'd also kind of wonder, do you say it's supposed to be a million years well, the judge. Because I've I've, ne I've never I've him. never heard a a judge. I've in some ex extreme cases, with like serial killers and stuff, to make a statement. I've heard you know maybe over a couple hundred or or whatever, but I've never heard anything like killing two people, a million years. No, no, you know, no. and so there there are just a couple things that so. I just kind of. You know, wonder about so he that was his life goal over his career to mm -hmm. convict different people, and he wanted to get all the people that he's convicted in his career up to a million years, not one single person. Mm -hmm. Okay, so oh, everyone in his career, yeah, everyone in his career. Oh, okay. So, I thought you were talking about him. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, um, you know, it's through faith that Christ said you can even move mountains mm -hmm. in my name, and if we, you know, at some points his, his miracles. Or you could say to this mountain, be lifted up and cast into the, the sea. If, they, if you truly believe that it's God's will. And if it's not God's will and you're believing it, then you're, it's no good. But anyways, you know, aside from that, you know, mm -hmm. he didn't, yeah, I'll just skip that comment mm -hmm. too. But she walked around, you know, praying to God. Not, and the other interesting thing was that guy, he kept bringing up, you know, how his mother had kept bringing up Joel Osteen in versus Jones. Know, to read and how she'd been praying for him, I thought, Joel Olstein. So I, I came up to him afterwards. I thought, I said, Well, you know that Joel Olstein is you know, not, he's a prosperity preacher. It's interesting how God used him. And I wanted to see what he said. And it's like, Yeah, God can use a bumblebee. You know, he, he knew, he said right away, He's like, Yeah, he's mm -hmm. just a prosperity preacher, but God can use anything. Oh, well, if, if, if. The gospel actually came out of his mouth. That's, well, that's what uh, he was, you know, he said God used his verses. And that's in the, in the cell, he had actually gone to God, you know, and prayed. You know, she she might even hear, you know, verses. something that maybe misquotes a Bible verse, and but she maybe thinks about reading the Bible or something. And I did think of the original point. So I told that to uh, one coworker because I was so encouraged about how mm -hmm. God and uh, and, he's, and he was just it's like yeah that's so you think that's right what if he killed 11 people and I was so surprised I'd never seen uh, someone that had questioned God's abundant mercy and he mm -hmm. was like well, you know God let him off the hook I mean the interesting part was he fully believed that it was God that had given him from lethal injection to 33 months which is you know shorter than his first well, the, the thing, though, that you have to be careful about is that what happened is actually against God's revealed moral will as far as murder. It's God's moral will for judges, for nations, uh, for, for people, that when someone murders, uh, you have a case. It's not like accidental, you know, an accident. They accidentally kill someone. Uh, but when they, they actually murder, it's God's revealed moral will that they should be put to death. And any society that doesn't do that is actually in rebellion uh, against, against God. And so it would actually be a violation of God's moral will. However, in his providence, uh, you know, something like that might, might happen. And he, he might use that. Well, he will. I mean, if you, if you truly have a believer, he'll use that in the life of that that believer. You know, he, he uses all things to work together for for good, bad, good, uh, all all things what whatsoever uh, for the the good of the person. So I want to keep those categories uh, in in mind when you think about those things. Saying that is actually an unjust judge who released them, but God's sovereign even over, uh, he, he'll use the evil, wicked actions of unjust judges for the good of his people. But 
but what they did was actually a violation uh, of God's moral will. And that's in the Noahic covenant. So I'm talking about like the common grace covenant to all nations, all peoples. Uh, and so in like Isaiah 24, that's what Isaiah's drawing on, talking about the judgment upon the nations, the people, because of the bloodshed, the injustice, they've broken the everlasting covenant that he made with Noah and filled the earth with blood and violence again and didn't justly punish it. And so what the judge actually did, if you actually have a case, you know, assuming a case of murder. So they, they intentionally, whether in passion or whatever, uh, killed someone uh, unjustly that God's moral will was actually violated by that, that judge. But God will providentially use that judge's unjust act for to, to work out his good purposes. And we don't know what, what they all are. For believers, it'll work for good. But who knows what? I mean, it, it changes uh, those things. They, they just ripple out. You can't even imagine how many things it changes throughout, uh, throughout time, you know, just like with Joseph. Well, because it's interesting because ultimately God is the final judge and he ultimately does forgive sins. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, that's... But did God, God, did God yeah. command that judge to violate his moral will by not putting to death someone who murdered? Well, he hadn't been a believer until he accepted Christ. And that was, you know, technically, I mean, God can forgive sins of the believer at any point because Christ died for mm -hmm. all sins. So mm -hmm. in God's eyes... Know, we, we cry out for mercy and he may show us mercy because if we were to get the conviction of our sins in God's eyes we'd be perishing. Well and even right someone on. someone on I think you're conflating the the judge with yeah. with God. God's moral will for the judge is to punish murder uh, by uh, by death, by the death penalty now, even someone on death row, if they don't get off and they believe in the gospel, uh, and this has happened uh, before, uh, you have the thief on the cross. Uh, we deserve, we're getting what we deserve. They were violent robbers. We deserve this punishment. But Jesus uh, turned to him and said, uh, you know, he said, this is an innocent man. Uh, truly, uh, today you will be with me in paradise you'll you'll be with God and so the man in this life was bearing the punishment uh, that that he deserved just uh, temporarily you know his his death it brought about his physical death but because Christ bore his guilt before God that he owed to God and his punishment and death and condemnation that he owed, owed to God the man's forgiven and so people on death row, you, you have some, like I, I heard a, a man who uh, he was, he was uh, in, into a life of uh, rap and hip hop and such. And that's not condemning all, all hip hop. There, there, there are some uh, uh, Christians who, it's like Shai Lin, he calls it lyrical theology. It's poetry. It's poetry. He, he's a masterful poet, and he, he's writing poetry about uh, Christ, about the gospel, about salvation. I mean, it's some of the deepest, most rich things that I, I've heard written into just like a few few minutes. Uh, some of the, the richest, deepest uh, theology. But uh, here's a man who is uh, he's into a rap and hip hop lifestyle. Uh, and more than that, he's into life of crime, hard partying, drugs, women, cars, all sorts of things. Uh, yeah, like the, the lowest point of his life. He wasn't saved from the low point of his life, but he learned of his sins. He heard the gospel. He came to believe and was forgiven. Uh, and it was not long after that that Apparently there's a warrant for his arrest. He had to go spend some time, you know, a couple couple years or so, a couple few years, in jail. And God used that time to teach him. In fact, he spent time reading God's word and coming to, to know God more. 
uh, and such. And so he was bearing, as far as human courts, human judges, he was bearing uh, the, the, the punishment that he deserved. He was, he was paying the time. He knew. He knew that he had done it, but he knew that before God, his sins were forgiven. And so a uh, Christian, they may even be put to death on, on death row, but their sins are forgiven. And so that, that won't be the end of it. And so there are two things going on. There's what that human judge does. And for the human judges, God didn't say, uh, do not put murderers to death. Let them live. No, put, they're to be put to death. Uh, it actually shows that you don't value life when you don't punish murderers. Um, but there is how God uses unjust judges to bring out all, all his purposes, and we don't even know what all, what all they are. Uh, they're, they're very many. And so that doesn't change God's, uh, God's moral will. And that's why Christ, God is just and justified. Christ had to bear, bear the penalty in our place so that his righteousness could be reckoned to us. God could tell us, uh, not guilty. You're, you're innocent. You're, you're righteous before, before my sight because of what uh, he, bore, he bore the penalty uh, and lived a perfect life in corporately, in corporate solidarity, in, in our place, you know, in union with, uh, with Christ. That's God's legal verdict. And now, since we're short on time, you mentioned something. I'll just show you quickly something that I've, I've been looking at. I have to study more. Go to Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter, I think, 20. 20. Oh, suddenly my computer is not happy. I usually have my Bible sitting out too. All right, here it is. See if I still know how to turn pages. Now, there's this theme you mentioned the uh, the the temple, and uh, and also uh, say say to this mountain, I'll be taken up, yeah. cast into the sea, and some of those things they, they go back all the way to the, the Old Testament, but there's this theme that runs all the way throughout. Actually, we'll go into 21. Uh, all the way back, even from John the Baptist saying uh, that the, uh, the, 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 the Pharisees and like scribes and such, religious leaders come out, uh, you, you know, you brood of vipers who, who, who told you to flee from the wrath to come. Uh, the, the axe is laid at the root uh, and uh, it's ready to be, you know, uh, cut down and cast into the, the fire uh, where it will never be, never be quenched. Uh, a lot of times fig tree imagery is used for Israel. And so you have this mountain ideas. He goes up to the mountain, surround the mount, uh, very much like Moses. And then with the Mount of Transfiguration and there to the, to the north and even in the northern Galilee territory on this rock, I will build my church. And they're kind of in Gentile territory. We, we saying that. But you have the, these ideas running throughout. Uh, and look at, let's see. So ver verse, verse 11, or verse 10. So he, he enters, you know, as their king. Uh, and when he entered Jerusalem, the holy city was stirred up, saying he's going to Jerusalem to be rejected. Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, 
and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. You have these things like in Isaiah and Jeremiah. So the temple, his house, he goes in, he finds it filled with, it's a den of robbers. Uh, it's a wicked place. Uh, and so he, uh, he cast them out. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, uh, Hosanna to the son of David, uh, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. So he goes out to the temple. He's going to be going back to the temple. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry and seeing a fig tree by the wayside. Fig tree is representative of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. So he hasn't found fruit on the fig tree. And he found in the temple is a den of robbers. Not the, 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 the temple of God, not a house of prayer, but robbers. On uh, the fig tree tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. God's holy mountain. It seems it's another parable, likely, uh, a visual parable, like the fig tree, Israel, no fruit. You say to this mountain, take up, cast into the sea, uh, the, the holy mountain of God. And uh, there's more I could show, but with this, it, it shifts with all this temple language, house, house of God, temple, and uh, in, in, uh, the, the fig tree mountain. And when he entered the temple, so he's back, it's all framed around the temple, going into the temple, going and wanting, going back to the temple. Uh, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Uh, and now you can find Similar things, but go to uh, 20, the end of chapter 23. We even uh, says uh, the stone that the builders rejected has become the, the cornerstone. The builders, the leaders. So you have the, these themes all the way throughout Matthew. And then rebuking the religious leaders. And he talks about all the blood of the prophets will come upon you uh, from the, the blood of Abel the blood of innocent, righteous Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. That's prophet Zechariah, whom you killed between the temple and the altar. Whoa! That's a different Zechariah. That's, uh, he, he equivocates. Sometimes Jews would pair together uh, the law, the prophets, the writings. Abel, beginning of Genesis, Zechariah, toward the very end of the 12, the 12 prophets. And then at the end of Chronicles, uh, Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, whom you killed between the temple and the altar. Uh, that's another Zechariah. And sometimes they do that, pairing things together uh, with the three. And they'd, they'd be like, wait, Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you killed between the temple and the altar. They'd be like, oh, other Zechariah too. So it kind of equivocates there. But uh, okay, so the very end uh, of this, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. 
See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And speaking of them, they reject the son, destroy them and give, give it away to uh, people that will bear fruit worthy of it. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these things, uh, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be. He goes on, the destruction of the temple. Look at the end times. And so uh, it maybe, uh, and I think uh, likely uh, my teacher, Ardell Candy, uh, mentioned it and uh, said that N.T. Wright uh, held to this view, and I guess right can be right once in a while, <laughs> every so often, his law of theology. But uh, maybe he's talking about the mountain of the, the house of the Lord, just another uh, metaphor sort of parable along with the fig tree uh, for the disciples to, to catch on. It's framed with the, uh, the temple being taken up and cast into the sea. Uh, and you, you find that and even find that uh, you, you have a, a mountain like in Revelation that's cast into the sea. Uh, so some of this imagery. Right. Well, let's uh, close in prayer and we'll look at Arian and Miriam next week. Lord willing. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, uh, thank you for your wisdom, your teaching, your instruction, and I pray that we would believe your word, that we would hold fast to your word, uh, that we would believe uh, the words that you have given through uh, your servant Moses and all your holy prophets and apostles, uh, and that you've spoken uh, finally and authoritatively through your son, and we thank you for him. We thank you for uh, the salvation that's in him and him alone uh, through his uh, substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, we thank you that we have a uh, high priest who uh, intercedes for us at your right hand. Uh, we have a, a priest in heaven who, uh, who understands uh, our weaknesses and uh, who uh, has been tried and uh, suffered in all things, but uh, he, he's uh, without, without sin. And so we thank you for him and uh, pray that you'd build up our whole body. Uh, and we pray in his name. Amen.